morning. Merry Christmas. Let's try that again. Merry Christmas. Yeah, there we go. Everybody stand with us.
You guys sound great, by the way. Man, it is so good to hear you guys sing. This one's a little twist on Let Us Adore Him. Oh, come let us 
2, sing choirs of angels. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exultation, sing all ye citizens of
we thank you that you sent your only son, Lord, he put on skin and Lord, came to earth. We thank you that he came to save us and serve us and gave us that example. And Lord, we just want to give you praise this morning. We thank you that you've come over 2,000 years ago. We give you glory this morning and it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Good morning. Good morning and Merry Christmas to you all. It's good to see you all this morning. Nice full group. Um, Just a couple of quick notes uh, this morning. Um, First off, you know, this Wednesday night, we've been announcing it, but this Wednesday night is no service, okay? No service Wednesday night. Friday night is our annual international food celebration. So um, you'd think I thought of that, but I didn't. (laughs) So it is... uh, Bring your favorite dish, maybe your favorite native dish, um, and if you don't have one, you know, we, we could, you know, come up with one for you, but, but please, uh, come on out Friday night. It's a great night of uh, fellowship and great food, but also we look back and, and appreciate what the Lord has done, and we have some fun along the way, so uh, don't miss that time. We'll have all our tables set up here, food in the fellowship room, and it's just a great time for us to gather together as a body of believers. Um, and then just two other quick things. So uh, this stage, we thank the Hood so much for setting this up, and, and we had such a great time the other night um, just, just with the, the Christmas play. Uh, but w- thanks the Hoods for that. Uh, and then after the service today, we're going to help them a little bit. They're not going to take everything, but um, a couple of guys, if we could just stay around and, and help them get some of the stuff out to their truck, that would be a great thing. And now, I just want to invite up uh, my daughter, Kristen, and the kids. We're going to have a special blessing. Uh, The kids are going to sing a song that they uh, shared with us on Christmas Eve Eve. So, kids, come on on up. Shepherds came to see the baby Stood by his mother's side Here lay the Savior inside a manger Oh, what a glorious night Oh, what a glorious night I hear the angels Jesus. 
with God, but they broke it. So God sent a special package to fix it, but it took time to be delivered. So he made a promise to Abraham and confirmed it was on its way. Then the time came, and an angel told Mary she would have a baby. This special package was God's own son. Mary had a cousin named Elizabeth, she was also pregnant, so the package took a trip to Hebron, where they cried together with joy. Now Mary returned to Nazareth to see Joseph, but Joseph was upset. It was a bumpy ride until an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. The angel told him to be a very special package handler. That was important because the government told the young couple to travel all the way to Bethlehem to pay taxes. Reroute the package. Bethlehem was a busy town. Lots of people and animals, so that there's no place to stay except a stable. It's okay though. Jesus the Savior was born and Mary laid him in a manger. It was a beautiful night, because God's best gift is here. You kids didn't know Joseph had a delivery truck, did you? <laughs> and a smartphone to pack, to track the whole thing, isn't that great? You thought all that was in the last few years, but no, it's been around. No, it's uh, a good way to convey to today's generation what, uh, what took place there. Well, good morning again. Uh, great to have all of you. Now we've, we have a full house here now, so if you're visiting with us, so we're so glad you're with us today um, to celebrate not just Christmas, but the last Sunday of 2016. You know, we talk about our church finishing strong. I believe God is well pleased that you finished the last Sunday of the year in the presence of of God worshiping. Now, you can worship God anywhere. I, I understand that. But the scriptures are clear to forsake not the assembling. And even more so as you see the day approaching. And we're closer to Jesus returning right now today than at any point in human history. Amen. Isn't that great? Amen. And at any Sunday in this year. And so the next Sunday we gather together will be next Sunday. It'll be 2017. Next Sunday is January 1st. So what better way to start the day here? If you're going to watch football later that day, well, that's like any other Sunday, except it's college football next Sunday. But uh, to be here, uh, we will have our service as usual next Sunday, uh, January 1st. And um, that's also a very rare thing that you get to start the new year on a Sunday. Uh, so that's a, that's a blessing we're looking forward to. 
But I do. I just want to share for just a couple of minutes. Um, I'm not doing the verse by verse study that I would normally do, and we'll get back into those things in January. Uh, but over the last uh, few weeks, matter of fact, before I uh, before I do anything else, turn with me to one patch. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. I just want you to read this one verse with me. It should be marked, and you'll want it marked because if you're not familiar with the Minor prophets in the Old Testament, they're harder to find because they, they're small books. They kind of hide. Uh, but if you're visiting, it's already marked for you to Zechariah chapter 2. And I'm going to read a, a verse you probably don't normally hear associated with Christmas, but I think you'll see the, con- the connection. Zechariah chapter 2 in verse 10. Zechariah 2 verse 10. And listen, we've been doing this this morning. Listen to the words of the prophet. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, now Jesus hadn't come when this was written, I am coming and will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you promised that you would send your son to come and to dwell in our midst, and that this would be reason, as a matter of fact, you would say that we absolutely should be rejoicing because you would come, Emmanuel, God with us. We've been doing that this morning. We pray, Lord, even as we open your word right now, that you would continue to, continue to minister to us by your Holy Spirit. Remove anything that would distract us, even the kids, Lord, that, that we would all hear from you. For it's you we're here to worship, not a day not even a cultural thing, but Lord, we're here to worship the King of Kings, the Savior of the world. In your name we pray, amen. So over the past few weeks, um, I've been doing a series titled uh, Christmas Revealed, which by the way, uh, this Christmas set, isn't it great? Ladies did a great, Randy mentioned, but they did a great job with it. I always speak of the church, and, and it's not my idea, it's in the scripture. The church is being a family, and today, we literally, I talk about our sanctuary being a living room. Today, it looks like a living room even. I, I thought that I was just sitting there worshiping. I'm like, hey, today, it is a living room. And I see the body of Christ is supposed to be a family. You hear all these terms like brother, sister, father, mother, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not to be um, some kind of corporate thing, like a corporation. Uh, it's supposed to be a family thing. But anyway, over the last few weeks, uh, we've been... Uh, looking at Christmas Revealed, and we've been remembering, we've been celebrating, and examining the advent of Christ. Advent, for those of you that hear this word, say, what does that actually mean? It sounds like very, very holy, whatever it is. Advent is from the Latin word adventus, and it means, the literal meaning is coming. Every time you were here, Advent, it means coming. During the Christmas season, we've looked weekly at the Christmas a story that was revealed to Mary and Joseph and to the shepherds on those hills uh, the night of Christ's birth. And then to a group of wise men uh, or magi that followed a star by faith all the way to Bethlehem. We considered the initial fear that Mary and Joseph and the shepherds felt seeing an angel sent from heaven. And what an awesome thing. I've never seen an angel. But if you do, it'll be an awe-inspiring thing for you too. And there was the astonishment that Mary had that she, she, just a a poor peasant girl, would carry in her the Son of God, and that he would be placed within her by the Holy Spirit. We examined Joseph's fear uh, and his understandable doubts as to what had happened to Mary. He knew what what she said, but he had some doubts about this whole thing. And we know Mary and Joseph, they were generally poor, They had very little financial means. They were no doubt disappointed to find that the city of their ancestry, when they got there, there was no room for them until at last a stable for animals was offered. We know historically the shepherds, they had a little and low place of status in society. They were likely weary and physically taxed on that silent night as they would have been most any other night. We know and appreciate the four-month, or we we hopefully appreciate it as we kind of looked at it, we know and appreciate the four- to five-month journey that the wise men took through difficult terrain 
and conditions and the personal sacrifices they were willing to make with their time and their talents and the treasures they intended to give. But when the time finally came, as Galatians, we've been in the study of Galatians, but when the time finally came, as Galatians 4.4 states, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Sent forth his son, born of a woman. I only have one bullet point we're going to look at today, and that's this. The one reason to celebrate is that he came to save. God sent forth his son in the fullness of time. When Emmanuel was revealed to his earthly parents and to an unlikely group of shepherds and to the wise men from a distant country, the response was the same. Everyone had the same response. Any of us were there, we would have had the same response too. It was rejoicing and exceeding joy, exactly what we just read in Zechariah, that God said, your Messiah is coming. Joy that was uncontainable, Joy and rejoicing that accompanied, remember what the wise men did? It accompanied what I would call fall-on-your-face worship. Because that's what actually, the, it says that, you, you know when you watch the movies, it shows the wise men, you know, they're very reverent. The Bible says they literally fell on their face, prostrate. But it also says they rejoice with exceeding great joy. Those of us who fall on our face before God are not bummed out because we serve a really angry God. We are on our face because we serve a great loving God. That's what caused them to fall on their face. It was true worship and true adoration, whether it was Mary, Joseph, shepherds, wise men. For each of those that saw the newborn king, the savior of the world, the promised Messiah, they realized that Jesus, as he would later say and preach and proclaim, was the son of God sent down from heaven, from the Father. And because of that, they could do nothing but rejoice with great joy that the power and the purity and the presence of God was in their midst. And that the promise of salvation had finally been revealed. You know, the world had been waiting for this for 4,000 years at that time. We're now at 6,000 years of recorded history. But at that time, they'd been waiting 4,000 years since Adam and Eve's fall, which you saw in the little video there. The birth of Christ was indeed a celebration, but it was more than that. It was a solution. It was not just a celebration. It was a solution, one that the whole world needed. This rejoicing had been prophesied long before this night in Bethlehem. And the angels there in the night sky, they confirmed that indeed joy and worship and praise were appropriate responses. You don't have to turn there, but I will read uh, what it says in Luke. And we read it before, but uh, I'm going to read that part just one more time because it's a glorious thing. The angels say, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of what? Great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. They could have said anything, but they said Savior, who is Christ, or the anointed of the Lord. And then it goes on to say, you'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the multitude a heavenly host praising God, saying, glory to God the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. All of those things are reason for praise and for joy. And this is what the angels proclaimed. This is what uh, the shepherds would immediately, in like manner, follow. They would worship. They would understand that this was the night that God had been promising, and there was real reason to be joyful. And this is what we have been doing uh, throughout this month. We were obviously doing this this morning, especially these last few days. We've been rejoicing and praising, whether it's kids or the adults or a combination of both of us. And today we even get to do it on Christmas Day, on a Sunday. Now, I fully understand that Christmas Day, or more specifically, a Christmas celebration, such as the feast um, given to Moses and given to Israel, that that kind of celebration that we have for Christmas, it's not expressed or mandated anywhere in the scriptures. I'm aware of that. I have to say this because every now and then, every few years, I might have someone hand me a book to explain this. And I believe that we're all well aware that Jesus' birth 
It may have been in the spring. It may have been in the summer. It may have been in the fall. I personally don't believe it was December 25th. I think that's highly unlikely. It could have been in December, but it could have been in any of the other 11 months. We really don't know. Here's what we do know. Even Herod, in speaking with the wise men, he couldn't even ascertain the precise time, could he? He said, kill all the babies under two years of age. So we don't know the exact... He knew that it was within a range, but he didn't know the exact time frame, even though he had the scribes and all the other people there to try and help figure it out. Additionally, you have probably heard... If you've not heard, some of you I know have heard this, but some of you may not, but you may have heard that December 25th has pagan roots. This is actually true. So we're here anyway? Let me go on a little bit. December 25th absolutely, unequivocally, historically has pagan roots. It really does. See, the Romans, they celebrated uh, Saturnalia, and it was a festival in late December, Every year, late December, Saturnalia was celebrated. And they marked December 25th, the exact date of December 25th, they marked as a pagan feast um, of Sol Invictus, which means, by the way, Sol Invictus means unconquerable sun, and that means the big ball of flame. That's what they worshipped. And this was their observation every year for the winter solstice, every year December 25th. Other pagan elements, such as the holly and ivy, uh, the lighting of lights, the Yule logs uh, have their either pagan origins or they have pagan connections. And, and there's other things as well uh, that are loosely attached. So given that there's no scriptural command for an annual celebration of Christ's birth, and there's not, you won't find that anywhere, there's no command to do this, what we're doing every year. We have the unknown time of Christ's birth, right? That's number two. We have the origin of December 25th, which was a pagan celebration and festival. And then we have the other connections. A question arises, is it legitimate, is it a legitimate thing for Christmas to be remembered and for us to celebrate the birth of Christ? It's a worthwhile question. It's been asked a lot over the years, over the last, you know, 1,500 years or so. Now, I obviously think it is or we wouldn't be doing it this morning. So you should have partially an answer there throughout the month of December even. But understand that um, there has been disagreement over the years among pastors, among theologians, among denominations about the celebration of Christmas. There's been disagreement about this for a long time. This is actually good in a sense. You say, well, how do you figure? No, it's actually good because it helps us look scripturally, scripturally at what we do rather than culturally at what we do. Does that make sense? Whenever we have to wrestle with something, we should always go back to the scriptures. There's no scriptural mandate that says, thou shalt have contemporary Christian music artist. But when we wrestle with it, hopefully we go back to the scriptures, and when it starts to go off the rails, it gets back right. Does that make sense? So it's actually good that we sometimes wrestle through things that aren't expressly mandated one way or the other. But the reason that me and many other Christians... Uh, both now and historically, celebrate Christmas, I do believe that there's uh, scriptural reference points. Not commands, but scriptural reference points. And then there's the intent that me and others have during this season to be a light to the world. You know the little song kids sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine? Jesus said he was the light of the world, but he said you now are the light of the world. And we're, we have this time and this season to use it in that way. Now, to the fact that Christmas isn't mandated in Scripture, we have an instance involving Jesus, and I find it rather interesting, and it's found in 1 John 10, verses 22 and 23. I don't have time to turn there, but Jesus actually enters the temple during the time that was observed of the festival of dedication. Do you know what that is today? Hanukkah. Jesus observed Hanukkah. Actually, he participated in the observation of Hanukkah. Now, it's a festival today observed by Jews all over the world, but it's found nowhere in the Old Testament. Now, when Jesus came, the Old Testament was completely written. The Tanakh was done. It was completely solidified. Case closed. There was no Hanukkah in the Old Testament. And by the way, there's still no Hanukkah in your Old Testament. 
This was never given, never commanded by God. It wasn't given to Moses, wasn't given to the prophets. It came during the Maccabean period when Jews experienced a great deliverance. And I, don't, I definitely believe the deliverance was God-ordained, and it was the power of God that delivered them under that time, under wicked dictatorship. And the temple was then purified from, idolatrous, from numerous idolatrous abominations of the Antiochus Epiphanes and others who had perpetrated this. But it's interesting that even though God did the work and it was remembered by the Jewish people that the temple had been purified and it's still remembered to this day. And by the way, notice that the Hanukkah involves lighting of candles, but it's different than the original menorah. It's not the same number of, of, of candlesticks. But it's interesting that during this same season, that same season, which would have been right there in Dece our Gregorian December, Hebrew calendar different, but the same Gregorian de December, Jesus celebrated, interesting that Jesus celebrated a seasonal feast at that time that was about deliverance and it involved lighting of candles, yet it was nowhere in the scriptures commanded. We kind of have a little foreshadow to what we're doing today. Again, I'm not, this is not a open and closed case. I'm just saying that it's clear that Jesus saw the opportunity for him to be a light to the Jewish people for something that was not commanded in scripture, but he recognized that God was still using it. Does that make sense? And I believe we're in the same place today. Now, obviously, Jesus did not celebrate Christmas. He didn't say, happy birthday to me, whatever, you know, all of you, happy birthday to me. Every time, yeah, he did go celebrate Hanukkah. Nor did the early church celebrate his birthday. There's, there's no evidence that the very early church, there in Acts chapter 2 and for a couple uh, centuries after, they didn't celebrate Christmas either. It was, uh, it was not till at least the middle of the third century until the middle of the third century, nobody in the body of Christ celebrated Christmas until the middle of the third century. The only things that were celebrated by the early church at that time, some of the early church celebrated on the Sabbath, which would be Saturday. Some of the early church celebrated on the first day of the week, which we do, which, was, which would, they would call the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And virtually everyone in the church, whether they celebrated on a Sabbath or on the first day of the week, they all celebrated the Lord's Supper, which we call Communion. Those were the celebrations that everyone, and obviously most of them were weekly, with the exception of the Lord's Supper, there were different cadences for different people. But Christmas, when did it start within the church? Well, the word Christmas, it comes from the old English word, Christes plus Moes. Now, I might be saying it wrong, even though my ancestry is old English, I can't speak it any better than I can any other language that's not English. Christes or oh, Christes plus moes gives us the word that we call today Christmas. And what it really means, what it meant then, it meant Christ festival. Christ festival. The first Christians began to celebrate Christmas, and they did so essentially as a rival celebration to the pagan celebration that was taking place on the 25th to Sol Invictus. You see what they did? There was a pagan celebration, so they said, why don't we have a different celebration about Jesus? And to establish a spiritually edifying holy day, which now the term holy day is where we get the word holiday. The old English word holy day became holiday. Matter of fact, the old English term holy day meant religious festival. So when someone says to you, Happy holidays. Say, happy religious festival to you too. <laughs> or just say, ha happy holy day to you as well. I didn't say holy day. I'm an atheist. Yes, you did. You just don't know the origin of it, right? But that was the, that was the original intent, that holy day became what we now say as holiday or religious festival. Now, the opportunity to celebrate the sending of God's S-O-N while the pagans were celebrating the S-U-N, was a contrast. And we today, in the secular Christmas, we have a contrast of celebrating the Savior versus Santa. Interesting, 2000, you know, 1,500 years later, because this, remember, the 1,800 years or so. But we have a contrast as well. Now, again, if you like Santa movies, I do too. You're not evil. 
well, you are evil. You're born evil like the rest. We're all born evil, so we're all sinners. But I'm just saying that you can actually enjoy something or you can worship something. Be careful to know which is which and which one is, which one is a god. We're here this morning. We were not going to cancel church because the cultural Christmas is bigger than the Christ of Christmas. The Christmas tree also has, bec- has some Christian roots, and it also provokes uh, issues with some. Over the years, I've heard Christians quote Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 2 through 4. I don't have time to read it, but it talks about what they would cut a tree out of the forest, and they would adorn it with all this kind of stuff. But you read, go read the whole text, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 2 through 4. Read it for yourself, and you'll see that it actually speaks of not taking a tree and popping it in your house and decorating it. It takes a tree and cutting it up and carving it into an idol, kind of like a totem pole or something. You would carve everything up until, ma- until they would make it into an idol, and they would put gold and silver and all kinds of things on it. The fact is, the Christmas tree originated in Germany in the 15th and 16th centuries. So it evolved over time from two traditions. One was it was called originally the paradise tree, and what they would do is they would hang apples on it as a reminder of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. That was the origin, the paradise tree, Germany, 15th and 16th centuries. The other is they had some of the German people would build a triangle shelf, and on that triangle shelf they would put Christian figurines with a star on top. As time went on, the two merged, and you have Christmas tree, which is triangle, like the uh, shelf, and then they was, the, the whole traditions merged, and the, you'll even see old movies where they put oranges and apples on the tree and stuff like that, which always... I was always bummed when my stocking got an orange in it. I thought, this is not a good gift. I had this at lunch two days ago. How is this a good gift? If you're going to put something, you just put a snack pack in there or something, you know. Um, an orange? I got that sometimes as a kid. I was like, apple? What? What kid wants that? If your parents gave you that, I am sorry. They still love you, I'm sure of it. But, uh, but anyways, we come to a close here. We have a reason to celebrate, and it's that Jesus came. The traditions and all the other things, again, there are things that... What I find fascinating is 2,000 years later, no one remembers Sol Invictus, but people are remembering Jesus. Isn't that great? And I don't see out there, even written, even on the most pagan of or the most secular of things, I don't see Mary Sol Invictus. I see Merry Christmas. We have a chance to tell people, oh, yeah, yeah, that means Christ festival. Oh, your Christmas tree? You ever heard of the Garden of Eden? You get a chance to now tell people that don't know the Lord what it all means, the one reason we celebrate. Charles Dickens said, you know, even like Christmas for kids I love as well. He said, it's good for children. It's good to be children sometimes and never better than at Christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself good to remember that we have to become like a little child to enter into the kingdom of God, don't we? To remember these things. You know, as we close here, and we're going to close in song. I'm going to have the worst team come up, and they're going to close in song. Just remember that Advent, the reason we celebrate was his coming. In John 15, Jesus said, I will abide with you. We have a daily Advent that Jesus comes to abide with us every single day day of the year. In the book of Revelation, 20, chapter 21 and 22, it tells that heaven, Jesus is uh, going to bring the new Jerusalem down out of heaven, and there won't even be the sun. No one will be able to worship the sun anymore because there will be no need for the sun because the lamb himself lights up the heaven, and we will abide with him, and that is the second advent. In some ways, the third, if you think about it. But biblically speaking, it's the second advent when he comes the second time. But until he comes, we should be having advent, us coming to him, and he's always coming to us every day of the year. Amen?